Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben from the Lean Blog. This is episode number 26 of the Lean Blog Podcast for June 3rd, 2007. Our guest today is Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth of the Visual Lean Institute and the author of the book Visual Workplace Visual Thinking. You can find her website at www.vlinstitute.com. If you have feedback on this or other podcasts, uh, please contact me. Information about doing so can be found at leanpodcast.org or the blog website at leanblog.org. Thanks for listening. Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, thanks for being here. I'm delighted. Well, I was hoping you could start off by introducing yourself to our listeners, um, you, the work that you do, and, and maybe also give us a little bit of the background of how you first got started with lean or with visual methods. Yes, thanks very much. Uh, I'm delighted to be here, Mark. Thanks for asking me. Uh, I started way, way back in uh, 1982 when I started working at um, um, productivity for a gentleman that some of your listeners will um, know about, um, Norman Bodak. Of course. Yeah, I actually was uh, writing my dissertation on his server and having a lot of trouble. It was a wang and just took me a whole year to figure out how to use a computer and then how to get the words that I wanted um, into a into a report, into a, a, a thesis. And um, I was writing on the participation of the poor in local decision-making because I was very interested in that. I was in, I'm interested in the distribution of power and and how people actually can – participate uh, when they don't want to and all of that stuff. And uh, as I was finishing up, I was in like my 10th month at that damn computer. Oh, excuse mm-hmm. me. I'm not supposed to curse oh, at okay. that darn computer. <laughs> and uh, Norman passed by one day and said, are you still here? And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm writing a report on, and it was the participation of the poor. And I barely finished that sentence when he said, I'll give you a job when you're done. And that was it. <laughs> I started suddenly working in manufacturing, and I first thing he did was send me to Japan. Of course, it makes perfect sense to lead uh, study missions. I was mm-hmm. completely unqualified, um, and uh, and in Japan, I was uh, found myself smack in the middle of this incredible uh, system called the Toyota Production mm-hmm. System, and Toyota, and, and and I had the privilege of uh, working with Shingo, but also meeting Ono and, oh. uh, you know, just mm-hmm. touching the greatness of wow. what this was, mm-hmm. this great thought. And for me, it was this great thought that had to be penetrated and understood. And uh, and I saw these things that eventually had names like Andon and Judoka and Kanban and um, all of this stuff. And I knew there was something there and I was very drawn to it. When I got, uh, as I began my work at, uh, at productivity, I was given certain projects to do, but I kept coming back to visual, coming back, coming back. And I developed a few products for Norman on visual that were very successful. And I said, you know, they're successful, but they don't really work. <laughs> they don't really allow us to implement continuously and to roll over to the next iteration. They're just kind of pretty and interesting and they create awareness, but not change. And, uh, he said, you know, Norman, if you're listening, he said something like, oh, shut up, Gwendolyn, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> and finally about, he didn't say shut up, but yeah. he said, it's okay, it's okay, I'm making plenty of money on this. <laughs> what a brilliant entrepreneur, wow. Yeah. 
And uh, eventually I had to leave because I wasn't able to focus on visual. And that's when I started my own company in 90, okay. 1990. And uh, I just dove into this visual paradigm, which I didn't know. And over the next 15 years, I've been developing it. And it's been producing tremendous insight and usefulness. And, uh, and it, and that's how I got brought into it. Yeah. Sounds Just, like, sounds like kind of an accidental introduction to lean and the Toyota production system. Absolutely. Absolutely. I used to be, I used to be a hospice director. I helped people die. And before that, I was a Latin teacher. So this was entirely hmm. out of the blue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And really. so now you, um, have, have published a number of books, um, over the years and have provided, um, consulting services for, for people to help implement visual methods, uh, within factories, correct? Correct, correct. And can you tell us uh, a little bit about um, maybe the most recent book, um, Visual Workplace, Visual Thinking? Um, kind of the, what, what are some of the, the key concepts of, of what you call um, the visual workplace or visuality? Yes. One of the uh, – this book I wrote because um, it was becoming so difficult in a sh- short 20 minutes to explain to clients or other people what visual was, and I wanted them to have an experience that they could have through reading. The book, as you know, has uh, over, I think, something like 230 colored pictures yeah. in it, and I wanted people to just jump in and spend a day reading this book and, and get – how powerful visuality is and what an alliance you can build when you, uh, when you combine it with work in the critical path, what you call lean, mm-hmm. with uh, streamlining the critical path. And uh, that's what the book is about. The book is about a way of thinking about seeing, seeing the opportunity that visual gives you as actual information deficits, missing information from the workplace and fulfilling those addressing those uh, deficits through solutions that are visual so that the answer isn't just putting in place the information but that the information is embedded into the actual workplace and embedded into the process of work because you can deeply embed the attributes of work, not just the visual where, the visual what, the visual when, how many, who, but also the actual attributes of a process, and that is known as pokeyoke. Mm-hmm. I've been working over the last 15 years uh, on two major um, ways of modeling what visual is. One of them is called the 10 doorways, which is there are 10 ways to get into the visual workplace, and each of those doors can be opened. Uh, each of those ways or those doors can be opened by a different group in the company. Mm-hmm. For example, you give pokeyoke or what I call visual guarantees to your quality group. That's a whole doorway and it allows them to both increase the level of quality through pokeyoke, this brilliant paradigm of shingos, where to create a model that the West could use and understand and was applicable. And I think that's pretty much all over the place now. Mm-hmm. But that doorway belongs to quality, I think, best, working with the shop floor, working with engineers. And then there are other doorways. The first doorway that's usually opened is the doorway called what I call visual order, visual inventiveness, what a lot of other people call 5S. Mm-hmm. And that doorway belongs, may I say, exclusively to the shop floor. It is both how it is driven through the shop floor and it, how it reaches its fulfillment. And there are nine, uh, eight other doorways. But uh, uh, this – so I wanted to say one of the main concepts in the book, and this is what I have learned by my failures and some of my victories, is that each doorway is driven by the group 
that is um, that is responsible for opening it and accountable for that outcome. I call that eye driven. And it's the power of the eye. It's actually power, the power of the individual consciousness to know what information that person needs mm-hmm. to, um, uh, to work well, to be a hero at work, which is another conversation I have in the book, how important it is for people to feel, you know, really excellence. They feel excellence in their daily work. I call it feeling like a hero. Uh, and and those are some important concepts. The other model, let me just mention the second model before I go back to the first if you want me to. Mm-hmm. And that is the second model is called the Blueprint for Visual uh, Rollout. It's a progression of methodologies. It looks like a house. Yeah. And on the ground floor, we see the first doorway, as it were, only it looks like a block. It looks like a basement. And it is visual order, what you call 5S, as the foundation. And it's not just the foundation in the way that Womack talks about it, that you have to do 5S uh, in order, uh, you know, as a precursor to lean. Of course, there's that functionality. But it's the foundation because it allows us to uh, establish what's called the visual wear much, much more robustly than um, some people think. Hmm. The visual wear in our formula is uh, the visual wear needs to be really embedded um Thoroughly, and our formula for that is a border home address and, if possible, an ID label. And here's the catch for everything that casts a shadow. Yeah. For every, if it casts a shadow, it gets a border and a home address. Mm-hmm. It might be an airborne address, it might be an in border address. It's an address. And, if possible, an ID label on the thing itself. That thing is kind of variable. Yeah. And, and, and I will tell you, Mark, and I'll take a breath in a moment, you can insert a, another question. <laughs> okay. Um, What's so interesting is that the lean folk really, really resist that. And one of the main reasons they resist the idea of border around everything that casts a shadow is because they think, you know what? What happens if I, if I create a, a different flow? Mm-hmm. And so, of course, that, that is easily addressed as well. But let me just stop now and. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I mean, it's I, a lot of interesting thoughts. I mean, you know, me, me personally, I, you know, as, as a, a lean implementer, um, yeah, I, I don't resist that, that idea of bordering. Um, cause, you know, we usually try to emphasize doing it in ways that aren't permanent, like, uh, like paint, mm-hmm. you know, using tape and things that are um, easily Excellent. changeable, um, can, can help it seem, you know, help it be more flexible, um, exactly rather so. than, than being permanent. And, you know, I, I did want to say, um, you know, I'd like to hear a little bit more about eye-driven culture. I see there's a chapter about it in the book. I mean, for one, it, it, it is a beautiful book with a, a lot of great examples. Um, you know, I certainly, Encourage people to take a look at it because the uh, the irony here is that we're talking about visual methods in a uh, completely audio um, medium here with the podcast, which is going to uh, cause some challenges. But there are uh, some great pictures and examples that uh, really kind of open my eyes to um, a, a couple different methods and um, different approaches. And one thing that stood out in particular, I wanted to ask you about, uh, was this notion of right angles and mm. and how um, maybe if you can explain. And how right angles um, in, in lines and orientation of, of things can lead to different types of problems. Oh, that is such a great practical example for, that will, I think, help people who are listening get the image. Well, there's this uh, kind of misbegotten notion that if it's at right angles, it's neat and orderly mm-hmm. and it's correct because we sort of have this, what is it called, slide rule, rule mentality. And in fact, many of the Japanese-based books talk about right angles or let's say they don't 
not talk about it. But in fact, what I discovered is that in teaching right angles in the 1980s, well, uh, I have to introduce another major um, um, kind of term of art so that I can talk about this better. Mm-hmm. And that is, um, I want to go back to information deficits, everybody, just for a second. Information deficits are um, the cause, but the symptom, what it causes is what we call, what I call motion. Right. Motion moving without working. I was looking for a way uh, 10 years ago, something like that, to describe a waste that wasn't as generic as waste or as widespread as the seven deadly wastes plus one. Mm -hmm. And as I uh, was working on my first book, which is called Visual Systems, I realized that the way to describe this was already part of the seven deadly wastes, and that is the waste called motion, which is defined defined by uh, by Toyota as moving without working. Right. And it works beautifully because it means that when you are moving and not working, you are moving and not adding value. And therefore, and what is the cause of that? In my study and in my implementations, I realize again and again that the cause of motion of that definition, that narrow definition, moving without working, is an information deficit. And, and if we can simply notice our motion and then realize it's been triggered by an information deficit, we can go back up the causal chain, mm-hmm. I should say down the causal chain, and find the cause which is missing information and information deficit. So getting back to right angles, the thing about right angles is that they are a far better solution than no visual at all. So you have a place and you have a border and you can go back there, see if it's missing, see if it's there, fill up the hole, whatever. But when you watch the forklift driver trying to make a right angle with his 12-foot, 7-inch forklift mm-hmm. and he's going, er, 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 Yeah, er, trying er, to turn er, that er. thing. Yeah. yeah, he's turning. He's doing his K-turn. And then you see him backing out again. You say, wait a minute. Why is this a basic premise of visuality when it's creating motion? Mm-hmm. Let's go through another iteration because the information deficit is, well, I, I, I don't think I can make a case as missing information except as mislaid information. And a forklift driver, uh, I hope, uh, Joe Podowski, maybe his name was Bill, yeah, Bill Podowski at Denison Hydraulics, now Denison, Parker Denison, uh, asked if he could just put a little border on a corner so that he could cut that corner. This was a, you know, a corner like a corner of a street. He said, right. do you mind if I put a little, and I said, why is that? And he said, because it would be so much easier for me to just cut off that little corner, but I don't want to show any disrespect to, it was Dorothy and Sheila who had put the border down. Right. I don't want to show any disrespect. And I said, tell me more. And yeah. then this whole thing came out. And he said, and I said, would it help to have them all at angles? And he said, it, it would be a miracle because yeah. it would save so much work. And that's a, g- a great example of, you know, to me is a lean notion of, you know, getting input from the people actually doing the work. In this case, a fork truck driver. If as engineers or managers, we've never driven a fork truck, it might make sense to us or it might yes. look visually neat to have those right angles. That's right. That's right. It looks cosmetically it looks cosmetically presentable, but it's not functional. Yeah. But, the, but you know, I would say, Mark, to that, there's such a minute level of listening to really notice this gentleman who is apologetically saying, excuse me, could I have a moment? Right. And really understanding that this is an opportunity to learn something new. I mean, I'm learning stuff all the time, and this was just like a bolt of lightning. Yeah. And I like the way... Um you described this this notion of missing information. I mean, that to me, that was something 
new, or at least it was a different terminology to think in terms of, you know, why do we put in visual controls or, you know, what, what visual controls do we put in first? Um, mm-hmm. So it may, can, can you describe some examples of missing information yes. that might pop yes. up in a typical factory? I'd, I'd be happy to, and do you mind if I just adjust your vocabulary a little bit? I, I, I actually, uh, for me, a visual control is a visual solution that, that shares information through structure, through limits. It actually controls us the way a Kanban does, mm-hmm. a min-max level does, some kind of, uh, the way a parking lot does, for example, control our behavior by laying down these functional controlling right. lines, which I call borders. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, oh, let's see, I've taken myself away from your question. So Just types, me types a... of missing information. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, they actually fall into six categories. Okay. <laughs> they fall into where are things. That means anything from a part to a work order to a person to uh, tooling or whatever. So that is, for me, what 5S is about. You install the visual wear. That's not the only purpose, but that would be a whole category of information. The missing what. What am I supposed to be doing? Um, oh, let me think of some other what questions. They're not coming to me now. What, what, well, am, what am I supposed to what produce is, next, maybe? What is, am I supposed to produce? What is the spec? Right. What is the exact attribute I'm supposed to be capturing through, for example, the how? And then is what is the how? How do I do it? Uh, how much time? That's another category. So how do I do it? So there are these six core questions, which are basically what a lot of people know as the four W's and the two H's. Mm-hmm. Where, what, when, uh, who, how many, and how. Right. And, and th- that's an example. But for ex- I remember an example by um, that was done by, I remember these people's names because they taught me so much, Camilla and Nat- Nate. Nate was an engineer who wanted his report at five minutes of eight every morning. And Camilla came in at 7.30 to make the report. And he kept hounding her, is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? And because they had the visual language, she said, you know what, Nate, I'm beginning to hate you. And hate is a form of motion. So there's an information deficit here. Mm-hmm. Why don't we figure out a way for me to let you know so that you simply know and you leave me alone until you know. So they came up with this little red clothespin. And when the report mm-hmm. was ready, nice. Camilla mm-hmm. put a little <laughs> red clothespin up. And until it was there, the report wasn't ready. And then when Nate took the report, he put the clothespin down so that Camilla could see from the other side of the room if she was at the copy or whatever. He got his gosh darn report. (laughs) It's over with for another day. So that's, you know, that's such a beautiful example of an information deficit triggering motion. Mm -hmm. And the motion actually, any kind of frustration or hate, anger, you know, this lots and lots of grievances are almost always in an Mm -hmm. environment that is overrun with information deficits. You start using visuality, and those grievances come down to nothing. I've seen it happen again and again in a union plant because people come to work to be heroes, and they're angry when you are in the way. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to managers now. Yeah. And so back, back to your point about um, you know, visual control, and one of the things I liked um, early in the book here, um, kind of this, um, the, the different terms of um, – I don't have the exact hierarchy right. Um, visual yes, control no. all the way up through visual guarantee. Yes. Um, I liked that framework and the way that you laid that out. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm going to put a little plug in for our video system because we have this 10 video now DVD and about a month DVD video system. We spend like a half an hour, maybe 45 minutes talking about the distinction there. And what's important there, why do you bother? 
why don't we just say everything in 45 minutes? It's because visuality engages the workforce on the level of their thinking. And people love their visual world. And what we want them to know about the four types or the four power levels of visuality is that they're already in a world that is using these. And it gets people very engaged in their daily life, in Mm -hmm. the community, in the roadways. And immediately that comes back and feeds the workplace and the visuality in the workplace. So you have visual indicator that tells only. You have a railroad crossing that says railroad crossing, but it doesn't help the 17-year-old. Then you have a visual indicator, so you put lights on Uh, it. You catch mm -hmm. people's attention so that it delivers the message. Then I'm looking up, and now I notice the sign, railroad crossing. Then you put a visual control in, which in this case, it's a little bit gross. It doesn't. The analogy begins to break down a little bit is uh, you put the uh, the gate. Right. But the 17-year-old is still going to go around. It's, right. <laughs> right. It's not Maybe fully, he's a 14-year-old. It's not fully error-proofed. It's not error-proofed, yeah. exactly. And then we go to visual guarantees. And in this case, the only kind of analogy or kind of continuance we can create is that we put the train above on a bridge and the car below so that they don't touch, or we put the train underground the way we see in big cities to completely yeah. eliminate the possibility of that particular motion or yeah. error or information yeah. deficit. Just have those gates go all the way across where you know, it's not possible Oh, yeah, very around. good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, excellent, yeah. excellent. Good very, thinking, yeah. good visual <laughs> thinking. <laughs> and I, I want to say one more thing because I saw your lead article today about 5S, um, what was it that it said? Well, it was, a a, it was an example, and I'll, I'll link to it for people listening here today. You can come back to okay. uh, the website, and I'll make sure that there's... Making a, a, things a harder. The post. Yeah, it was an example. Uh, a reader of the blog had posted a comment saying that, you know, her workplace had gone through what she called, or what he or she called, um, a very counterproductive 5S initiative that mm-hmm. um, the, the workplace had been cleaned up and looked neat. And I could just, you know, the, the sarcasm was coming yeah. through very clear. But, you know, to make it look neat, they had taken tools that used to be three feet away, used for changeover, and they were now 700 feet away. And you could yeah, tell that, that was this wild. was just beyond irritating, uh, and, I, yeah. and I think understandably so. Yeah, and it just cuts into the the spirit. The spirit dies and stuff like that when there doesn't make any sense. And that's that's a very extreme example. But I wanted to say with my little my little um, uh, soapbox here is that one of the big problems with uh, I think I think this is just my experience. Five S gets into is when it becomes a. Um, a repetitious known outcome and people focus on the method right. 5S rather than the outcome, which for me, the outcome isn't neat and clean. I honestly never talk about neat and clean to adults. Mm-hmm. Suddenly I start looking like their mother or worse. <laughs> right. And you know, it just doesn't work. But I talk to them about visuality and I would say to every everybody listening, if you're having trouble with 5S, get rid of the name 5S. Take it out of your strategic plan and call it visual factory or visual hospital mm-hmm. or visuality but but it's like me being on a diet i think i write about this in the book i had i used to fit into a really nice little black um, size 10 dress and i have that dress i've held on to it and as i am kind of getting control of my eating uh, i look at that dress i don't look at all the cottage cheese and fruit i have to eat the cottage cheese and fruit is dreary and boring and that's the way with 5S. If you keep talking about neat and clean, 5S, 5S, you're talking about the method, not the outcome, not the visionary mm-hmm. outcome. That's really going to inspire us to 
to to own it and to love it and to to uh, make it even more uh, glorious, yeah. more splendid. And just get rid of five S. It's 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 like a, a curse word mm. in some places. Well, I think it's been mis mis implemented <laughs> yes. and, and gotten a bad reputation. Yes. I, I like the way you 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 put that in terms of. Uh, moving away from an overly prescriptive, you know, thou shalt, uh, maybe for an example, thou shalt put tape around everything is very yes. prescriptive and, and can seem, uh, boring. Um, but it sounds like this eye driven approach is more a matter of talking about the goals with people and letting them figure out what, what's helpful to remove, as you call it, the information deficits or, you know, what helps you make your workplace easier to, to interact with? Is that well a said? Good way of well saying said. It? Okay. Well said. I would add a little bit more to that by saying it is a word that hasn't been introduced in this conversation yet. It is about empowerment. But let me say with empowerment, it has to do with power and it's the power for you to decide what are your, for you to know what your information deficits are and then for you to uh, to you, for you to create solutions to those information deficits. It is what you described before with the rules and the, um, the thou shalt. Mm-hmm. This is the, the obedience paradigm that so doesn't work. It doesn't work in Japan, although folks have a more of an agreement about what standard is. Mm-hmm. There's more of an agreement. But I met the man who created 14,000 implemented improvement ideas. This was in Okie Data in 1987. He won the prize for all of Japan. 14,000 implemented improvement ideas. Boy, he didn't get anybody's agreement. He just plowed through <laughs> it and kept coming up with this you know, I mean, imagine how many you have to do every day. He would come home at, at night and yeah. dictate to his wife at, after dinner. His wife would make, wifey would make the dinner and then he would dictate his ideas and the next day he would start implementing. Yeah. This is a force of nature. I'm not saying that we could withstand that in the United States if we had 180 people working and all of them wanted yeah. to do improvement to that level. <laughs> but it is, it demonstrates this, I, this, this, uh, this fundamental, um, the fundamental existence of this power that we have. And, and empowerment is about the distribution of power. And empowerment, for, in my mind, also involves engineers. It involves uh, supervisors. They, are, they have signed on. Well, it's just that supervisors also, there's a, a piece that we call visual displays, and it's what you call production control boards per, uh, uh, visual displays. And I have seen so much of this come up for in the lean paradigm where we have these dashboards or we have these, uh, you know, what is the yield, what is the lost feet and all of that. And that works well enough. But if you really ask the supervisor, what are your information deficits? What's your mm-hmm. need to know? It, it might be, I just need to know if material prep has made its delivery so that I can, you know, is it coming? When is it coming? Is it going to be complete? So this yield thing, they go further down the causal chain, supervisors, when you ask them to identify their need to know. And if you give them the opportunity to capture that visually and get that basic information of their need to know on their need to know level, what will happen is that there will be this environment of safety where the supervisor's needs are also being met. Do you see? Yep. They'll feel safe. They'll feel this control that they need 
anyway, it's a, it's a, it's another one of my many, many soapboxes. <laughs> but the thing is, I know we're running out of time, Mark, and I, and I want to say the thing about visuality that visual has taught me mm-hmm. is that you need a language that holds the excellence of the organization. And that language needs to be not words or on the page, but it needs to be alive and dynamic in the work environment itself. And that's what visual does. It is so far from neat and clean. It's, it's like saying clipping my toenails is keeping me healthy. Well, that's a part of it. But it is, but health is so much greater than that. And that's what visuality is about in its many, many aspects. It's been my pleasure over the last 25 years to have an opportunity to explore this and to write about it and to present it. Uh, and, but this is where, this is what feeds me and what really, really gets me going yeah. every day if I forget. Well, I think you know, we can, we can all, about. we can all hear the passion and, and the excitement for Am the Am I topic. being too loud? No. I'm- no, no, not at all. This has been uh, a very enjoyable discussion. <laughs> and it's hard. I know it can be a challenge to, to sum up 25 years worth of work in the 25 minutes or, mm. or so that we've had today. But, um, you know, I certainly hope we could talk again and, and delve into some of the other, um, the culture aspects, because I, I certainly get a sense from a first look at, at your book that there is more, there, there's, there's more to this than just the, tools and and there's so many um, wonderful pictures in the book of showing um, the visual management but there it sounds like there's so many more levels of um, not just the the tool but the culture and the management system and the respect for people as, as our friend Norman would talk about yes. so I would certainly yes 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 exactly like to delve into that more um, it it uh, it's, Can I say one thing? Yeah, please. Can I say uh, just about, you know, people who are listening, if you would tell Mark what you want to talk about through your responses, I'm not exactly, I think you send notes back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be, that would be a nice way to, to let the topics be lined up. I think this is what you have in mind anyway, yeah. lined up with your, your viewers or your listening ship. Right. And so, you know, who are they? So, so, yeah, who are they? If people have um, comments, the easiest way is to go to um, leanpodcast.org and there's information there about um, how to leave um, feedback. Um, so maybe the final thoughts, um, Gwen, could you tell us a little bit about how to find you and what websites yes. or how they could yes. uh, learn more about yes. visuality? Thanks. That's so kind of you. Uh, we have a website that's been around for a long time called visualworkplace.com, and we have a new website that I I just found out this morning from our, our webmaster, Harold, uh, went live today, um, which is called VL Institute the Visual Lean Institute, VL Institute, where we do our training of trainers. Uh, we have a forum there. I need to find somebody who can head up that forum. We're a small organization that uh, have uh, uh, have been blessed with a big mission, which is this visuality thing. Where we we hope that our websites are better uh, uh, serve serve well, but I do, with apologies, say right now that they're not quite up to snuff. They're not complete, but we think that in the next three or four months. We'll be able to put something together, but you can get all the books on visualworkplace.com and then learn about the uh, training of trainers on the uh, VL Institute. Well, great. Well, certainly want to thank you again, Gwen, for uh, joining us and, and, and talking about your uh, your work and, and the book and visuality. It certainly introduced um, a lot of um, interesting ways of, of thinking about some topics that you know, uh, myself and, and I think a lot of our listeners may have been working with and, and struggling with. And, you know, I think it's certainly like to recommend the book as, a, you know, an eye-opener and maybe a way of kick-starting uh, you know, some further progress for people. So I want to thank you for taking the time out today. Oh, it's entirely my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Sure. 
Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.